You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine with your host, Northwestern University internist, Dr. Lee Friedman. Lung cancer is the most fatal cancer in the United States. What are some of the newest therapies currently in clinical trials for lung cancer, and which ones are the most promising? Joining us to discuss novel adjuvant therapies for lung cancer is Dr. John Koharchuk, Assistant Professor of Surgery and Surgeon in the Division of Thoracic Surgery at Penn Medicine. Thanks for being with us, Dr. Koharchuk. Oh, thank you. It's a real pleasure to speak with you today and to kind of bring your audience up to date on some of the new and exciting adjuvant trials for patients with lung cancer. This should be exciting because I know my gestalt is, as a general internist myself, we really are not doing all that well in treating lung cancer. Is that correct? Well, I think that's correct. If you really look at lung cancer, you need to acknowledge that lung cancer remains the leading cause of death in the United States among every ethnic group. And it accounts for one in every three cancers, especially if you look at women, it kills more women than breast cancer. It kills more men than prostate cancer, colon cancer, and melanomas combined. So it really is a diagnosis that unfortunately has a high rate of fatality associated with it. In many cases. However, we are doing better at diagnosing it earlier. We are also doing better at treating people. If you look at the treatments for lung cancer, they have changed just in this past decade. Prior to 2000, if we found an early lung cancer, we or even a moderate stage lung cancer, we operated on the patient and then just followed them very closely with surveillance, hoping they did not recur. That all really changed around 2000 and 2001 when we really started treating people more in a multimodality fashion, combining surgery with adjuvant postoperative treatments, and most commonly today is adjuvant postoperative chemotherapy. So surgery still does play a role, certainly for the solitary lung cancer. Does it also play a role when there seems to be some spread? In some selected cases, yes. As you point out, for early stage, those are solitary nodules with no lymph node involvement and no evidence of distant disease, those patients have surgery. If they're early stage one cancers, they have surgery alone. As you move a little further along the spectrum and you get lymph node involvement within the lung, those are the patients who have surgery followed by postoperative adjuvant chemotherapy, sometimes radiation, but not as often. Then there is a very select group of patients who present with regionally advanced disease, and those patients are usually entered into a clinical trial. The trial is usually a tri-modality treatment strategy and often includes chemo and radiation therapy up front, followed by reevaluation and oftentimes surgical intervention, and then consolidate it with chemotherapy in the postoperative period. Is it still right to divide lung cancer schematically into small cell versus non-small cell when we talk about these types of treatments? Yes, it is. And we're really focused on non-small cell lung cancers. As a surgeon, those are the ones that are most appropriate for surgical consideration. By and large, the majority of small cell lung cancers are not treated surgically. There are a few minor exceptions, but the majority of patients with small cell lung cancer oftentimes present with relatively advanced disease, and they actually are quite effectively treated with chemo and radiation therapy. And so for these non-small cell cancers, how are we doing with the standard therapy that you have outlined for us, the early stage one, just resection, then the more advanced resection followed by chemotherapy and occasionally radiation therapy? It's interesting. We are actually doing quite well with very early stage, stage one lung cancers. The problem is less than about 15% of the lung cancers we see and deal with are early stage. Without doubt, the majority of 
cancers that we see are in the intermediate or advanced stages. And those are really the stages in which we need some additional and alternative treatment strategies in order to help these patients. In the early stages, you can expect survival rates as high as 70 and 80%. Mm-hmm. However, very quickly when you move to a little bit higher stage, the five-year survival rates quickly drop into the 40s and then 20% range. And on a tangent, this isn't really our focus, but related to this, do you have any comments on more effective screening to improve the percentage that we find in the earlier stages? Well, screening is a very, very controversial issue, and it is unclear currently what the best screening tool is. There certainly is a lot of interest in CT scan screening for smokers, former smokers or active smokers. One of the problems is defining what a nodule actually means and which nodules need to be intervened on, which can just be followed. And that can be a very difficult thing. We do have a lung nodule program within the University of Pennsylvania, and we do screen and follow lots of patients with lung nodules. But that is not yet the standard. That's still more or less in the investigational phase. And we certainly know that based on earlier studies, regular chest x-rays and sputum cytology unfortunately do not appear to be worthwhile. That's correct. So as we go to treatment now, can you start to enlighten us on some of the novel approaches that you are taking in your lab and with some of your studies? Sure. We have a number of studies. And so we set the stage by explaining that we are focused on this because in the intermediate stages, our outcomes are not so good. We also need to acknowledge that less than about 2 to 3% of patients with lung cancer nationally are placed on a clinical trial. Mm. So one of the goals that we have is to offer every patient who comes through our door not only the standard of care treatment, which is really multimodality treatment for their lung cancer, but the opportunity to learn about clinical trials and participate in a clinical trial if they wish in order to further understanding of the disease. And that starts really at their first visit. When a patient comes in to see me or one of my colleagues, after we're done with them, the clinical research coordinator comes in and sets the stage on the first visit before the operation. And one of the first things we do is talk to people about allowing us to use any remaining tissue for research purposes. So we get people thinking in that mindset. Mm -hmm. When they come back for their post-operative visit, We discuss with them the standard of care, standard adjuvant chemotherapy, and then we offer them a whole host of potential studies that they can participate in. Most of these studies are really focused now on a personalized therapy for their lung cancer. And what that means in many cases, we're actually testing the tumor for expression of a certain protein, which we may have a blocking or binding antibody to, a certain antigen for which we may have a vaccination for, or a certain receptor for which we may have a targeted therapy, an oral drug, for example. Mm -hmm. Really, the two trials that we're kind of most involved with at the current time, the first is a vaccine for lung cancer, and this is in collaboration with a company, GlaxoSmithKline, and they have determined that there is an antigen that is expressed called MAGE3 on a certain percentage of lung cancers. It's not all lung cancers, but it turns out that it's about 30 or 40%, and as the stage gets higher, the expression of the protein also gets higher. Mm -hmm. They've also been able to isolate the protein, and along with another compound called an immunoadjuvant, develop a vaccine strategy using the antigen and the immunoadjuvant to stimulate the patient's own immune system to target this antigen and hopefully result in a decreased recurrence rate. So when I see a patient in the office, the first thing I have to do postoperatively is ask their permission to have their tumor tested. Mm -hmm. If their tumor tests positive for the MAGE3 antigen, 
and they meet some other criteria, then they're considered an appropriate candidate for participation. And then the trial is offered to them. One of the most interesting things about this trial and about some of the designs of the other trials that we participate in is that the trials allow for the inclusion of standard of care adjuvant chemotherapy. So the patient gets the standard of care and then gets something in addition to that. Well, that's certainly important as I discuss trials with my patients that a lot of times a concern is, could I get placebo? And these patients, even in the, quote, placebo arm, are going to be getting standard of care treatment. Right. And we go over with that. We have had some patients who were very interested in participating, but then had difficulty getting over the potential of getting a placebo, and they viewed that as a hurdle. And a very, very small number have elected not to participate because of that. But by and large, people are interested. They're excited about kind of participating in the research effort. They're excited about getting new answers. And they also like the added attention, the close follow-up, and all the things that go along with participating in a clinical trial. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine on ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and with me discussing novel adjuvant therapies in lung cancer is Dr. John Kuharchuk, Assistant Professor of Surgery and Surgeon in the Division of Thoracic Surgery at Penn Medicine. Dr. Kuharchuk, you mentioned two trials that you're excited about. That was one. Is there another one? Well, we have another one that's also an interesting trial called the Radiant Trial. We are running this in conjunction with a pharmaceutical company called OSI Pharmaceuticals. And that trial has a similar design and a similar underlying thought process, but it's a different target and a different drug. Mm -hmm. What we do in that study is we test the patient's tumor for EGFR receptor. And if they are EGFR receptor positive, then they're offered Tarceva, which is Erlotinib, which is an oral agent that's taken that is an EGFR inhibitor. And the concept is to take the drug for two years afterwards and then follow the patients to determine if this results in a significant decrease in the recurrence rates. As with the other trial, this trial is also allows for standard of care postoperative adjuvant chemotherapy. Very good. And so it sounds like with both of these trials, where you get some of the patient's tissue, the tumor tissue, and look for particular unique proteins and then have a therapy that's directed against that protein. That's correct. And that's really the way we're going, I think, towards the future is more targeted therapy. There are a number of other basic science projects that we have ongoing where we're trying to develop the gene signature for a patient's individual tumor. And the hope is, for example, in the early stages, you may determine if someone has a particular gene signature that they have a very high recurrence rate. And you may select that patient in the future for adjuvant therapy. While on the other hand, you may have another patient who has a different lower risk signature, and you may decide that patient does not need adjuvant chemotherapy. So it's really the idea of trying to target treatments to the patients that will benefit most from them. We're not exactly there yet, but we are certainly on that road. And in terms of the financial backing, are there other studies or approaches that may not lend themselves as well to being mass-produced by a pharmaceutical company that we're having some trouble getting funding for? Funding for lung cancer is a very sore subject. Lung cancer research is very underfunded, especially when you compare it to breast or prostate cancer, which raises a lot of money. There are a number of basic science projects that are ongoing. The two projects that I initially talked about, the EGFR receptor project and the MAGE-3 vaccination project, are both run by very large pharmaceutical companies. They are international trials, and we happen to be one of the sites. We do have some smaller projects 
that are funded out of our own university pilot projects and some that are funded by the NIH through granting mechanisms. But certainly when you look at the number of people that die from lung cancer and you compare it to the amount of money we spend on it, it is certainly inadequate. We also need to do a better job at prevention and prevention really is smoking cessation. And that's not really what we're talking about today, Mm -hmm. but that is really the root of all problems. And when you look at lung cancer rates, there is a marked increase in the number of non-smokers that are turning up with lung cancers. And we don't know why that is. Many people postulate that there's a role of secondhand smoke, which has only recently been acknowledged. And so all these things kind of play into this epidemic we have in lung cancer. And getting back to the point you made about 2 to 3% of eligible patients are actually enrolled in trials, do you know how that compares to other types of malignancies? I don't. My sense is for breast cancer, at least, many patients participate in trials. I don't know about the other cancers, though. Would there be any suggestions for the primary care doctors listening about how to improve these numbers? I know you mentioned your approach. You start right away getting the patients thinking about the possibility of trials. Are there other things that you would recommend? Yes, and I think the strategy is different depending on who you are. For a primary care physician, one of the most important things I need from a primary care physician is their confidence. Because remember, the patient has an established relationship with that primary care physician. Oftentimes, they've known them for 10, 15, 20 years. They meet me for 10, 15, 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. It is very difficult to establish a trusting, caring relationship in 10 minutes. But I know they have it with the primary care doctor. And I know that when I give them my discussion of trials, the first thing they do is pick up the phone and call the primary care physician and say, what do you think? And that's okay, but what I want is the primary care physicians to understand and accept the importance of these, not be afraid of them, and really encourage their patients to participate in them. We go to great lengths to make sure these trials are safe. We go to great lengths to make sure these trials are going to advance and answer the questions that we have to make very important future contributions. So I don't think there's something that we need to be afraid of. I think there's something that we need to embrace. Well, I very much want to thank Dr. John Kuharczyk from Penn Medicine, who has discussed with us current therapies for lung cancer. He has pointed out there are shortcomings to the standard therapies we have, and he's talked about some exciting new approaches that he's involved with with various clinical trials. And lastly, we spoke about the importance of primary care physicians really encouraging our patients to try to become involved with trials, in particular for lung cancer, where we don't have wonderful standard therapies. You've been listening to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. To download this program or access ReachMD on demand, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.